This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Biden administration has launched yet another new government-wide website. This one's for agencies to document how they will back up program performance with data and metrics. It's called Evaluation.gov. It's supposed to help agencies chart progress in complying with the Evidence Act and let the public see what's going on. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman joins me with the latest. Jory, sounds like this administration is focused on this idea of program evaluation. They certainly are. And this recent conversation is really focused around the Evidence Act that Congress passed in 2019. And that did a couple of things for agencies. It required them to name chief data officers as well as chief evaluation officers and statistical officials. It also required agencies to come up with really a roadmap for figuring out how they're going to, one, ask themselves some pretty big questions of how they're doing from a program management standpoint, and two, how they're going to back it up with data and evidence to prove that they're meeting the goals that they really have the intentions behind. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is really working on this government-wide push to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion government-wide. And the White House Domestic Policy Council is charging agencies to really think of that goal, that DE&I goal with the evidence and evaluation goal, and basically coming up with ways to determine how these programs are serving a wide swath of the public, making sure that every demographic has equal access to these public services. All right. So on the assumption that you don't improve a pig by weighing it, what are some of the administration's goals for this new evaluation.gov? So the administration has been pretty clear that they have four big goals here, looking at climate change, racial equity, economic recovery, and COVID-19. And aside from just being an accountability measure, a public place where we can check in and see how agencies are doing in terms of these goals and meeting the Evidence Act, Diana Epstein, who's OMB's evidence team lead, she said that the website will also be kind of a liaison for researchers and public sector partners so that they also get a chance to look in and see, you know, what are these big high level questions agencies are asking themselves about program performance, where they see the gaps in the data and how these researchers from the outside can have a role in doing their own parallel research and help answer some of those questions agencies are asking themselves. And what do the agencies actually have to post on the site? Data sets about what? So what they're on the hook for in the very short-term future are kind of these roadmap things I was describing a moment ago. They are specifically learning agendas, annual evaluation plans, and capacity assessments. Those are going to be publicly posted in February. They're currently working on draft versions. OMB expects to have those draft versions done by the end of this month, and they're going to be vetting those in the coming months. Um, What's really important to recognize here is that the learning agendas is agencies putting on paper those big questions that they are asking themselves. The evaluation plans are kind of milestones that they're going to have in place in terms of getting this work done. And the capacity assessments are recognizing here's the data, here's the evidence that we have, and here are those gaps. And so that's what we're going to be seeing pretty soon. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. So you've got learning agendas, capacity assessments, write-ups of this and that. Not really data, but more just verbiage. The data side of things is really on the the chief data officers, the CDOs that we've talked quite a bit about. But the evaluation side is a, a similar and parallel effort that we're now finding a little bit more about. Okay. And there are things 
There are people called Chief Evaluation Officers now, CEO. Sounds just like a pretty good acronym. What's their job? Well, in a lot of the website terminology, I think they've gone with uh, EO on that, which, of course, raises its own challenges because EO and our terminology is executive orders. So you really can't win. But Or equal opportunity. The list goes on and on. But the these evaluation officers, they're really the front lines of putting those documents together, the learning agendas, the capacity assessments, and so on and so forth, the evaluation plans. And they have a pretty close relationship with CDOs in terms of getting this work done. We heard from one of these evaluation officers, Matt Solner, who's over at the education department, and he described a recent project where they were able to link up Pell uh, data on Pell Grant recipients and income data from the IRS to figure out, you know, what is the ROI, the return on investment that the government is getting in distributing these grants for education. But of course, some familiar barriers here in terms of, you know, making sure that they have data that they can share across agencies and that they can have those linkages to different agencies and getting them to work together. And it sounds like there's a couple of councils involved here that you've written about. Yeah. So aside from this evaluation officer council, there's also an interagency council on evaluation policy. That is a mouthful, certainly, but those are federal employees who are technical experts in this evaluation work. And so they are not at the C-suite level, but they're at echelons below that. And so they are having kind of consulting work with some big agencies like the Justice Department, the EPA, and the State Department in trying to build this evaluation and evidence culture that may be a little foreign to them right now. And what do you think are some of the challenges that this administration is going to face in meeting the actual goals of the statute here that we this is all pursuant to, which is the Evidence Act? Well, it's all well and good to say that government programs should track the impact that they're actually having out on the public. But this is not a novel concept, and this has been something that's been going on for decades now in terms of government management. And this is not even the the last piece of legislation to try to tackle this. There's also the Government Performance and Results Act, or GIPRA, from 1993. And it had a lot of the same goals, obviously different deliverables in terms of getting to those goals. But a lot of people who study this recognize that it is very, very hard to you know track and determine the performance of government programs, I think, you know, one basic way to frame it is that for a while, for all of these decades, OMB across multiple administrations has just been trying to get an inventory of federal programs, just a list of the names. And that is uh, been an uphill battle for all of these years, simply because a federal program is a different thing depending on who you ask in government. So you can't brand them until you round them all up. Yeah. So it speaks to, you know, the challenge that they're all facing right now. All right. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. 
Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that's should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions 
without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zell. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.